Hey everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world who will have their mom on the show. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and yes, my mother will join us a little bit later to talk about Brooks Robinson. Yes, uh, rest in peace, Brooks Robinson. You know, we've had some some great players uh, pass away in recent years. We don't always spend a whole segment talking about it because, to be honest, we don't always have a whole lot to add, right? These are oftentimes players in past generations, but in this case, Brooks Robinson means a lot to Jake's family, so we are going to talk to Jake's lovely mother about that. But before we get to her, we have to review what was a ridiculous night of Major League Baseball. This week has indeed been a whole lot more fun, and as this Mariners fan can tell you a lot more fun last night than the night before. We are going to talk about the chaos in the wild, wild AL West. We are going to talk about the Cubs catastrophe in Atlanta. The Phillies clinching the Brewers, clinching the division with a loss. Thanks to that Cubs catastrophe. Ellie De La Cruz hits two home runs. Uh, And then in the second half of the show, we will say farewell to some more eliminated teams, as well as uh, talk about Taylor Swift as we are legally obligated on a podcast in September 2023. But before we begin, make sure you like and subscribe. Like, what the heck am I talking about? Rate and review (laughs) the podcast. It really helps people Mm -hmm. find the show, helps the show grow, allows us to do some cool things moving forward over the postseason and into the offseason. So make sure you do that. Tell your friends and uh, email us, baseballbarbacast, B-A-R-B-Cast at gmail.com. We read your emails and let's hop in, Jordan Schusterman. Let's do to it. A wild night in the Association of Baseball, which is not what it is called. An excellent night for for chaos, for oh, mayhem. Yeah. A great night of ball. When we last spoke to you yesterday morning, I offered a oversimplified picture of the American League playoff situation. I said that it was the most clarity that we've had in some time. And then every possible thing that happened last night. Made it even more muddled. Mariners win. Astros lose. Blue Jays lose. Rangers lose. And here we are on Wednesday morning with the following situation. Tampa Bay is gone. They have the first wild card spot. Toronto, a game and a half up in the five hole over Houston, who is a half game up on Seattle. And in the division, the Rangers are two and a half up over Houston and three over Seattle. But let's zoom in to the Seattle Mariners, who last night, Won a baseball game. That mattered. 
This they was did. it. This was the season. Backs against the wall as must win of a must win game as it gets. And they did it, winning mm-hmm. six to two over the Houston Astros at home. Yes, it was a pitiful showing on Monday. I got on this pod on Tuesday and I said some not so nice things, but things I believed about how they had not shown up in the games that everyone was hyping up at any point during this regular season. But I even couched it and said, hey, listen, they can still do this. And I looked at that matchup last night and I saw George Kirby and I saw Christian Javier, who has not been good lately. And I said, this is the game. We'll get to tonight's game in a second. But I said, not only is this a must win for the Mariners, but this is a game that they should win with this patch pitching matchup. And that is what happened. George Kirby uh, can throw, like Luis Castillo, but even more so, can throw a lot of quality strikes. And that is something that he was able to navigate uh, throughout the evening against the Astros lineup, holding them scoreless uh, throughout his night. Uh, the Mariners offense sort of woke up, uh, had had some moments there. It wasn't the most explosive offensive performance, but it was more than enough against Javier, who his his mound presence, very questionable. I mean, to know, think that this is a guy that threw uh, a no-hitter in the World Series last year um, or was did not allow you know any hits in the World Series last year is, is kind of hard to believe. The talent is still there. You still see these glimpses of like, oh, there's, there's that magic Christian Javier fastball, but everything else just not throwing with a lot of conviction. Mariners able to get this one. Uh, the weirdest moment of this game had nothing to do with the game, and we just have to talk about that. I've never seen this before. Now, I was particularly confused yes, because I was listening on the radio, mm-hmm. and to hear Dave Sims try and recount what happened <laughs> through radio format was outrageously confusing. It appears that a I, fan mm-hmm. wearing a, I think, a Jared Kelnick Yes, I, I can tell you exactly what happened, City but I, I want to know what it sounded like on the radio because that I, I don't know. You basically, okay, so I think Dave Sims says, out comes Scott Service to talk to, Cur- to Kirby, like he's trying to get the umpire's attention, and then Gary hops on the radio and is like, someone threw a baseball at George Kirby from the stands. Okay, so here's what happens. George Kirby, there's a stop and play. As you see, oftentimes, the pitcher wants a new baseball. So he's signaling to the umpire for a new baseball, which you'll see kind of have both hands up, like play a stop. We're not worried about pitch clock. Play a stop. I need a new ball. Kyle Tucker had just fouled a ball back over the the first base side, over the Astros dugout. Or sorry, the third base side. Uh, He'd fouled it off to the other side. Okay, so there's a stoppage in play. He gets a new ball. He gets a ball. And as Kirby is calling for a new ball, a ball just appears and kind of grazes him in like the torso. And he like jumps like, where the hell did that come from? You actually sometimes this see this happen where there's a miscommunication where you're asking for the ball and maybe the catcher and the umpire throw you one at the same time. Like I've seen a version of this, but this ball's coming from very high up. The, the angle yeah. at which this ball is coming is like, what the hell happened? And on TV, there was also like some confusion from Aaron Goldsmith and Mike Blowers, like what, what the hell just happened? Now, thankfully, there were all, all kinds of eyewitnesses. And I'm going to read a few from Mariner Muse uh, on Twitter, uh, which is one of my favorite Mariner follows, who was basically sitting right in that section. And so I'm just going to read this string of tweets. Uh, he tweeted, oh my God, a foul ball just bounced down to a kid who chucked it back on the field and hit George Kirby with it. Watched it happen. 
Ball bounced right to this kid wearing a Mariner City Connect who wildly hugged it back in play like the other team hit a homer. The ball grazed Kirby, who had no idea was coming at him in the jersey. Multiple ushers kicked the kid out immediately. So there's so many <laughs> things that are like unfathomable about this situation. Okay. The notion that you would throw a ball back, throw a foul ball back, and you're not a two year old baby. <laughs> that kid is, hates Kyle Tucker. Is, but like, so that's one part. Like, what is going through your mind? Let alone if you're a home fan, why are you throwing a ball back? But the other thing about this, and which is relevant to the trajectory of the baseball, as you know, if you go to a baseball game now, the net is very, very high at this point, at this part of the stadium, right? This is not an easy way to throw. Now, it makes even less sense to think this person was throwing it at George Kirby. Of course not. But you really got to get it up there. I mean, I watch big leaguers sometimes fail to throw it over the net (laughs) after an inning. And yet this kid apparently just picked it up and chucked it and almost hit George Kirby. Or did Don't do this. Yeah, don't do this. I will say it is interesting, the double standards. I mean, this is obviously unacceptable and ridiculous. People being like, ban this kid forever, send him to jail. Let's relax a little bit. I am more shocked about how stupid this is more than the actual act itself because – We've seen people throw balls back after home runs and hit players. That's happened. And people have laughed at that. That happened to John Carlo in Fenway, right? And like throwing the ball back on the field after a home run, while it is a tradition, like it's the same thing. You're throwing the ball back onto the field. That's not a thing you should probably do. But in this case, I, this is not by any means accepting this, but it is an interesting <laughs> uh, way we reacted to this. The I alternate think. universe where this ball hits Kirby in the head or the hand is just an outrageous I know. I know. twist of fate. Thankfully, that did not happen. He throws well. The Mariners win. Let's spin it forward to tonight. Yes. Another Super Bowl. For the Seattle Baseball Club. Yeah. Here's my concern with this one. Ooh. Bryce Miller, he also, like all the guys in the Mariners staff, throws a lot of strikes. But his strikes are not as good as George Kirby's and or let alone even Luis Castillo. So I have to hope that the game plan is going to have to be expanding the zone a little bit more here. Because if he goes at this the same way as Luis Castillo did with lesser stuff, the Astros are going to blast him. Now, Fromber has been certainly better than Christian Javier, but he has also not been, you know, unflappable recently. But I could see it's it is going to be edged definitely towards Houston tonight, I would I would say for sure. We don't do a lot of gambling on this show, but Jordan, ready? Mm-hmm. Ground ball outs versus Fromber Valdez for the Mariners or total runs scored in tonight's game. Oh man. Uh okay, so ground ball, ground ball outs. outs. Ground ball rate's like 55, 60%. Uh interesting. I think so we're saying he's probably getting between like 8 and 10 ground ball outs is versus what total runs scored. Versus total runs scored. I think I'll take the grounders, I think. Okay, I'll take, the I'll grounders. take- I'll take total runs. <laughs> what a wild line. I know you could bet all kinds of crazy shit nowadays, but that one, <laughs> good luck finding a book that'll, that'll give you that one. You can, you can get it here. I'll be tracking that now. Now I'll, that's all I'll be thinking about tonight. Welcome to Barbacast Sportsbook, where Jake gets high and comes up with really stupid ideas. Uh, okay. Let's, uh, so that's Mariners. That's yeah. Mariners and Astros. And, and here's the thing. That it was all more important because the Rangers rolled out a bullpen day and got their ass kicked 
by the Angels. And so while this was going to be a must win anyway, the Rangers who have the opportunity to kind of pull away with this division even before they head to Seattle this weekend, you know, just they just get smoked. Uh, the Angels, Brandon Drury, and just, I mean, a terrible Chris Stratton inning. It was it was just a terrible Mariners or Rangers pitching day. Not particularly shocking, although against this Angels lineup, it was at least mildly shocking. Reed Demers was good. And it again, if we're rooting for chaos, this is the result you're looking for. The funniest outcome in the American League West and the wild card is for the Mariners to win tonight to tie the Astros effectively. They have the tiebreaker over the Astros, and then both teams lose out. That would be unbelievable, and the Mariners would get into the playoffs over Houston. An absolute catastrophe for the Astros. I think that is what all neutrals are rooting for. Yes, and while the Mariners already had the tiebreaker uh, with Houston going into this series, that is still such an important element as we watch the remainder of this week is that they have that. Uh, because it's not necessarily going to be about catching Texas. It's going to be about yeah. catching Houston and staying close to Houston. A couple of other quick notes around the American League before we hop to the NL Wild Card and the Chicago Cubs disaster. Austin Wells of the New York Yankees, rookie catcher with a late two-run home run against the Toronto Blue Jays, who do not put up a run, ruining a Kevin Gossman gem as the uh, the Blue Jays fall to the Yankees 2-0. to zero. The Jays are still a game and a half up over... Houston for the second wild card spot. Still a little bit of, of distance there, but what a bizarre team. They just can't quite pull away. I'm not too worried about them yet. Let's talk on Friday. The Orioles win one to zero on a Gunnar Henderson Homer and a Kyle Bradish just sparkling performance. Put some respect on that man's name. He's gonna start game one of a playoff series, and people are gonna be like, who is this guy? And then they're gonna see his ERA is like two, five, eight, or something insane. He's going to be the first Orioles pitcher since Mike Mussina to finish a season with an ERA under three. First starting pitcher. Let's also mention that Felix Bautista threw a sim game or some a sim inning, I guess, probably makes more sense. He played, um, the, he played the sims? He played the sims. He sat on the mound with his laptop and played the sims, redecorating his house, um, making sure you know he's got a pool, he's got everything, yes. Doing woohoo. He was he was doing woohoo. He was getting his uh, pet a job. Uh, he was doing all kinds of, of Bro, the fun. Sims is crazy, dude. The Sims is great. I love the Sims so much. Anyway, that's not what he was doing. He was throwing baseballs, which is important because his UCL has some sort of injury. Uh, now, when you see what Yenier Cano looked like last night, it was like okay, like they they still got a guy back here for sure. But as we know, they are trying to get him ready for the postseason. I still doubt we see him before the postseason. I think we're going to find out today. It sounds like today is going to be a big day in terms of how he's feeling the day after he like throws pitches yeah. with a uh, injured UCL. So I'm sure we'll have more news by the time you're listening to this. But they're trying. They're going for it. I still will be skeptical until it actually happens, but they are definitely going for it. I think the ideal plan is to get him into a low leverage situation in the final series against, I believe it's the Red Sox, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, that, I, I think, has open. to be the plan. He should open. Great idea. He should open. Yeah. Uh, Tampa, with a bit of a weird white flag lineup yesterday against the Red Sox as they pretend to try and chase the Orioles down in the AL East. No Randy, no Yandy, and they win anyway. Yeah, I mean, the thing with that is, uh, I mean, 
weird pitching performance. Their tragic number is down to, I guess, three, but they don't have the tiebreaker. So, I mean, they're two and a half back of Baltimore. So, the Orioles can clinch the division as soon as, I guess, tomorrow? Tonight. Tonight? If, they, if the Orioles win tonight and the Rays lose tonight, I believe the okay. Orioles would clinch the division. Got it. Okay. So, again, that's what we're heading towards. Uh, but they are still, and then, and then presumably once that happens, the Rays will just be kind of chilling and trying to yeah. not get injured, which has been very important for them. Let's skier over to the National League where Seiya Suzuki, skier did a fly ball, just a brutal situation. So the Cubs are in Atlanta. Let's actually, sorry, again, let's paint the picture. Cubs and the Diamondbacks tied for that final wild card, uh, the second and third wild card spot with the same record. Marlins a game back of them. Reds two and a half back of them. Reds win last night. That's great. But the 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 main takeaway is the Cubs with a chance to stay in the mix. They go up 6-0 in Atlanta against yes. the Braves, who are hardly trying, to be honest with you. And they blow it. They blow it so hard. It's six to five in the eighth, two outs, runners on second and third. Oh, Drew Smiley on the mound in high <laughs> leverage. Hilarious. Fly ball lofted into right center field. Say Suzuki calls off Cody Bellinger for a routine. No! Yeah. Just loses, loses it in the lights. Just, just totally misses it. Um, two run score, Cubs lose. Yeah. To borrow a, a phrase from our good friend Mike Rooney when he is um, referring to uh, shaky college bullpens trying to, quote-unquote, land the plane, <laughs> that yeah. is not what happened for the Cubs tonight, up 6 nothing, going to the bottom of the sixth. And But it sucks because, as you mentioned, like that's not even necessarily on the bullpen. I mean, you know, Assad gives up the homer to Acuna, but, same, you know, they, they they still could have held yeah right like they they still could have held on and that is just a gut punch the shot I I don't know why I guess if you're on the Braves social media team you might as well be recording Acuna for everything he's doing but I don't know if you saw the Braves tweeted a video that is just a sh- video like a shot trained on Acuna for that play while he's in the dugout amazing reaction because it's like why are you recording Acuna for that I guess maybe he was going to hit a home run whatever uh, incredible reaction. Incredible oh no across the National League. And the most interesting part about this to me is how it relates to the Brewers. (laughs) Because the Brewers, meanwhile, playing at basically the exact same time, or at least the time of the game was almost synced up, are losing to the Cardinals at home. But their magic number to win the division was one. So they either needed to win or the Cubs needed to lose. And so Corbin Burns, I think, talked about this a little bit (laughs) after the game, but like, this is a very specific and delicate celebratory plastic wrap assignment for the Brewers clubbies where the Brewers are losing the whole game and so and the Cubs are winning the whole game and then suddenly it's like, oh shit, we're about to win the division because Seiya Suzuki just dropped the fly ball. We have to get this place covered up so that we can you know, go ham in here with champagne in a little bit after we lose. So nice, nice work by the Brewers clubbies where they, they, they got it done. I love when teams go ham after they lose. Yeah. Because on one hand, it like it looks goofy. On the other hand, it's like you did it. Like I don't care. Like if you if you manage to win a division, there's like hell yeah, celebrate. It's a long season. It's hard to do that in this league. So I understand. You lost tonight, but you won enough other games. So <laughs> let it eat, baby. So yes, the it. Brewers clinched the NL Central with that disastrous Cubs loss. 
The Diamondbacks smoke the White Sox last night. Holy shit, Jordan. That is a bad team. I, I tweeted this. I have not watched a lot of the White Sox recently because I don't hate myself that much. But, oh, what? They just are moving at 90% speed. They're slow. There's just no zip. There's yeah. no purpose. It's they horrible. They are uh, heading towards 100 losses, uh, which I don't – have they lost 100 games? It feels like they have to have lost 100 games considering their – their history, yeah. I guess they lost 100 games in 2018, and that is pretty much 1970. Other than that, so this is just—I mean, teams like that. Again, it's an interesting spectrum when you look at the teams at the bottom. But like the the lifelessness, the the White Sox lifelessness meter is way beyond Oakland and Kansas City, yeah, yeah. and even Colorado. Like Kansas yeah. City and Oakland, they are bad. They are worse. They, I guess, have worse players. Although at this point, you could certainly debate that. But in terms of just absolutely given. no hope, it is absolutely yeah. the White Sox right now. So the Diamondbacks win. They have a little bit of distance now. A game up in the second wild card over the Cubs. Miami, they have a tiebreaker too. So. They have the tiebreaker over the Cubs. Miami was rained out yesterday. I was there for this before the game. The Mets grounds crew seemed to have very much biffed it over the weekend. They did not tarp the field on Saturday during a tropical storm, Ken Rosenthal wrote about it this morning at The Athletic. And guess what? The field was soaked. It was wet. This was some D3 college bullshit. And now the Miami Marlins have to play a doubleheader today. Braxton Garrett, who is their only healthy pitcher alive, was supposed to throw yesterday. And then the final game of the year on Sunday, he will now have to throw Sunday on short rest because he is throwing this afternoon. It is an unacceptable, that-can-happen moment for the New York Mets. I was there basically to watch MLB official, Mets grounds crew, Marlins GM Kim Ang, Mets GM Billy Epler, Mets manager Buck Showalter, Marlins manager Skip Schumacher, having like the conversation on the field where they're all stamping the dirt just to see how wet it is, and it was bad. This was an, yeah. just the Mets screwed this over. On the Marlins, Schumacher, sorry, Skip Schumacher was, you know, kind and diplomatic about it, but they're pissed. The Marlins oh, are understandably they, pissed. Yeah, they should be. And, you know, they're getting bailed out by the fact that Arizona also got screwed by New York weather and, you know, lost an off day. We talked about that. They'll have to play in Chicago on Thursday. And they're also bailed out by the fact that the Cubs just did what they did. But, yeah, they should be pissed. I mean, there's there's no I, – I don't know what you do. I mean, we kind of have situations like this. I feel like in the last week of every season with some weather where it gets dicey and some team ends up getting screwed. Um, I You know what Buck should do to apologize, to atone? Bat Jonathan Arauz cleanup for both Arauz! Or like Arauz. <laughs> that should be his uh, – his, sorry, guys. My bad. Um, anything else from last night that we wanted well, to hit? Mention – you mentioned the Reds. The Reds staying alive here. Um, Ellie De La Cruz, who had not homered since, I think, August 23rd. He has been objectively terrible recently. Hitting the reset button and going absolute monster shot off of Lucas Giolito changeup early in the game. And then later on, 119 off the bat off of Xavier Curry late in the game. Uh, I mean, again, it's just like there's only like five people that can literally do that on earth, and he's one of them. 
And it was amazing. It was great to see Ellie kind of have that moment. The Reds offense showing up was nice to see. Still a lot of questions on the mound for them. Hunter Green did not look good. But again, they're hanging in there, whether they make it or not. Like, this is an incredible achievement for a team that lost 100 games last year. Last point, Phillies clinch. Walk-off single up the middle in the 10th inning by Johan Rojas, who was called up halfway through the season. If you don't know a lot about Johan Rojas, he is an incredibly fun player elite defender in the outfield who has hit enough with the bat so far this season so that like he's going to start playoff games for the Phillies this year. Him driving in Christian Pache to send the Phillies to October, just as everybody predicted. I felt a lot of FOMO not being in the Phillies locker room celebration, first Phillies locker room celebration without Jake Mintz in quite a while. Um, Garrett Stubbs held it down though. What a performance. I mean, he was taking tequila shots out of the screw top of $300 tequila bottles, which is amazing for the backup catcher. Cause like he has to play today. Right? I would assume so. Yeah. That's he was top, going full I mean, send last night. Did you see the video of uh Philly's outfielder, Brandon Marsh riding the bull yes. across the street at like yes. Xfinity live or whatever. If we're doing also uh, making up nonsense betting lines, past balls for Garrett Stumps today is probably one to watch. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, it was, I mean it it was it was it was a Phillies clinch club. We know what it looks like, and it was yeah. it was uh, fun to see. Good to see him do it at home, and it was good. Yeah, it's good to see they still have the fastball. Speaking of fastballs, Kyle Schwarber pointing at Orion Kirkering during the celebration and going. Slider, slider, 100, and Kirkering, who was in Reading like a week ago, just nodding and taking a sip. He's like, yeah, dude, I'm here. I got champagne goggles on. I'm Orion Kirkering, sure. And then last thing, Nick Cassianos. What an oddball. What a weirdo. Being interviewed, uh, and I think he's asked by the Phillies broadcaster, like, hey, what's one thing you learned this season about yourself? Which is a good question. Because it forces a player to say something real. And Castellanos goes. He did. <laughs> Not a damn thing. <laughs> he said something real. Uh, I love that. Because he's like, no, I've, I've, I've been this weirdo the whole time. Yeah. Now we, we're all good to see it. Now we as podcasters, we don't want you to listen to the show and not learn a damn thing about yourselves. And so after the break, we're going to have my mother on. Baltimore resident. I guess former Baltimore resident. Lifelong O's fan to tell us about Brooks Robinson. Hey everyone, producer Chris here with a quick housekeeping note about our merch. Look, in Australia, we love clothes and almost always wear them. If you're like us and also enjoy dabbling in clothes wearing, then why not consider some official baseball barbercast merchandise? Whether it's a jumper you're after, which you would call a sweatshirt, a cap, which we would call an old hair hugger, or a shirt, which we would call a belly wrap, we have it all for you. But that's not all. Do you also like to drink water or caffeinated beverages? Well, that's great because we have mugs and bottles to help you quench your thirst too. To buy any of this merch, go to podswag.com slash baseball. The link is in the description of the podcast. And don't leave yourself clothesless this post. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. It is time to memorialize the one and only Brooks Robinson, who passed away yesterday on Tuesday at the age of 86. Neither myself nor Jordan Schusterman saw Brooks Robinson play. We were born in 1995. Brooks's final year was 1977. 
And so instead of pretending like we know what the heck we're talking about, we decided to have on a special guest who watched quite a bit of Brooks Robinson play. Everybody say hello to Jake's mom. Hello, Jake's mom. Hi, Jake. Hi, Jordan. Uh, Hi, Jake's Jake- mom. It's so good to have Jake's mom on. This is not, it's not some other, it's Jake, like the host of this podcast. That was nice. I liked the uh, encouraging the audience participation, people driving in their car who just also said, hi, Jake's mom. I hope that you all did, all the fine listeners. Uh, Yes, Helene, uh, it's so good to see you. Thank you for joining us on Baseball Barbecast. I'm excited to have an an expert opinion, uh, an expert opinion, expert experience. Uh, on watching Brooks Robinson. So, Jake, well, why don't you uh, kick this yeah. off here? Why don't you why don't you tee this up uh, for your lovely mother? I mean, Mom, you were born in Baltimore in 1963. Like, yeah, Brooks, so Brooks was 14. I was 14 when Brooks uh, retired. So I guess my first question for you is, what is your first memory of Brooks Robinson? Or do you have any memories of your baseball-related childhood without Brooks Robinson? Oh, no, of course not. I have no baseball-related memories of my childhood without Brooks or Frank or Jim or Earl, all of them. But my memory of Brooks was that, first of all, my mother, my father worked a lot. My mother loved baseball. She would watch baseball at home. And I have many memories of her yelling at the TV and me not understanding why she was upset. But it was probably that in the late 60s, early 70s, right? How many they were in four World Series? Yeah. Right. And so she would yell at the screen when bad things happened. And she also yelled a lot. Come on, Brooksy baby. Brooksy baby. Yeah. That would ring throughout the house. I love the idea of grandma yelling at the TV at the Orioles in the late 60s and early 70s when they were incredible. Like, yeah. it's like, oh, you're you're mad now? Wait, just wait till you get to the right. mid-aughts. It's going to get a lot worse. Well, you know, she got more cynical about a lot of things as she got older. So the interesting thing related to your mother is that um, – Grandma, my grandma, Ruth, who I have talked about before on this podcast, was also, like Brooks Robinson, born in 1937 and, like Brooks Robinson, passed away this year in 2023. Brooks Robinson was born in Little Rock, Arkansas. Grandma was not. (laughs) No, she was not. It was Little, but it was not Little Rock, Arkansas. Where was she born? Where was your mother born? Actually, it wasn't so little. She was born in a suburb of Nuremberg, Germany, Firth, um, but she grew up till she was two in a pretty small town called Gunzenhausen in Bavaria. And the idea to me, and this is part of why I wanted to have you on, you have these two people born in completely different ends of the earth whose lives somewhat intersect over time and pass away within two miles of one another in the same calendar year. And in thinking about Brooks Robinson and what he means to people in Baltimore and what the point of baseball and sports is, it is to foster meaning and create relationships and connections between places and people, right? And it very much feels to me that that is what Brooks Robinson did with the city of Baltimore as a whole. And then with our, with my grandmother, your mother more specifically. For sure. When you would go to Memorial Stadium, you felt connected to all the other people in Baltimore. Was I, I didn't know that baseball teams could be bad. I just thought teams win World Series. So it was a little bit of a 
talk to me when, um, you know, Pittsburgh beat us while I was in high school. So that was no fun. But definitely it created those connections. And, you know, Grandma, I guess when she was born, you would have it would have been unlikely to think she would have been one of the biggest fans of some kid from Little Rock, Arkansas. And, they, you know, she would live and pass away around the corner from Brooks Robinson Drive, as we were discussing. Which <laughs> was right around street. the Right around the corner from where you got married as well. Correct. Yes. Yes. And I was reading, I think it was in the Washington Post today, talking about how many people, how many kids were named Brooks in Baltimore and how people were always telling Brooks Robinson that they were named after him and that even his wife saw that Brooks Leach, the uh, hockey player, was named Brooks. She said, I bet you he was named after you. And it, they came to find out later. Yes, it was true. But- well- you know, it, I, my earliest memories really are of Brooks and Frank and Jim, for sure. And we saw we saw Jim Palmer, uh, you know, get very emotional on the on the broadcast yesterday, kind of talking about this. And yeah, I mean, they I believe played together for twelve seasons, which is a long time to be a teammate of one player, let alone two of obviously the greatest players of their generations one pitcher, one hitter. What I'm interested about in terms of the timing, you mentioned, you know, being born in 1963. That is, it's not just that you only know Brooks. I mean, that is peak Brooks, right? So maybe you don't remember when you were one, but he wins the MVP in 1964. And there's no, yeah, it's okay if you don't remember that. That's, that's, I'm I'm not putting that on you, but like you, not only did you only know Brooks, you only know Brooks as the best, as the guy, like he is, was truly the entire time. So I'm curious also, uh, when you think back about him, like, what was your recollection of him as a player? Because now the fans our age is, oh, he won a billion gold gloves in a row. Like that is the basic headline, right? You see the pictures of him with all his gold gloves. And you look at the offensive numbers, and he was a pretty good hitter too. But what do you remember about him as, as, as watching him? Do you, do you remember him being the best defensive third baseman or was it a little bit more generic? Very much more generic, right? Mm-hmm. So we were baseball fans, but I did not mm-hmm. play Little League. I didn't follow the stats, I, mm-hmm. right? So we were just... Orioles fans. In fact, I think I was a little confused between Brooks and Frank because I didn't <laughs> watch a lot of baseball. Mm-hmm. I just knew there were two guys named Robinson. Uh-huh. And they were both really good. And, <laughs> right. And also, we listened to a lot of baseball on the radio. Mm. That's right? extra confusing. Our, my father loved to listen to a game on the radio. So I was like, are they brothers? Are they cousins? Why do they have the same name? Do all teams have people with the same name? Are there more Robinsons? You know, it's confusing to a little kid. So no, I don't have, now I understand. And if I see him play third base, I'm like, oh, how did you do that? Right. Mm -hmm. So, but then I I didn't have that kind of memory. So just a couple quick quotes from the article in the Baltimore Sun this morning about Brooks's defense, because that really is the defining feature. He was a good hitter, like Jordan said. He was good. But what makes him important and memorable is he's really the first modern defender. I mean, this is a player who cared about his gloves, who had a practice glove and a game glove, right? He was finicky in particular about that kind of thing. So here are just a couple quotes. Quote, the baseball didn't have much of a chance going one-on-one with Robinson, be it on the ground or in the air. That's from Phil Jackman, who covered the Orioles for the Evening Sun. Quote, I never saw a man dominate a single event like Brooks Robinson in the 1970 World Series, said baseball commissioner Bowie Kuhn. Quote, he plays third base like he came down from a higher league. 
AL umpire Ed Hurley said. That's my favorite one. I love that. The guy played as though his car had been repossessed, second baseman Tommy Helms said, which is doesn't mean anything yeah. and is not a quote that you would ever hear today. Like no major leaguer today would use the word repossessed. Is it because like he has to go like check the car or he has, it doesn't really make it a lot of sense. He doesn't want to get fired. So he keeps getting paid so he can get his car out of hot. I, I don't know. Uh, Sparky Anderson said, I don't see how anybody could do what this guy does. If I dropped my sandwich, he would dart in, scoop it up on one hop and throw me out. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I love, I love that one because that is describing a sandwich bouncing the one hop sandwich <laughs> scoop up the sandwich on one off is an amazing term you mentioned sparky anderson jake you retweeted a tweet from johnny bench last night uh who said i went over four and hits the third base in the 1970 world series um which is which is certainly fitting 16 gold gloves in a row is so preposterous we are now <laughs> witnessing a version of that with Nolan Arenado, who's won 10 in a row, and I believe that streak is going to end this year. And 10 in a row is impossible to conceive. Right. And five even watching Nolan Arenado. Five in a row is not. Yeah. Five in a but row. It, like, it's it's impossible. But but it's that, he, again, as we see, everyone across the league, whether it was the umps, whether it was the opposing players, opposing managers, teammates, everybody, that was the gold standard. I mean, there's so much about him that is of days gone by, right? And Remember, he only played for the Orioles, and it was a time when the Orioles lived in Baltimore, right? Jim Palmer used to come into my dad's store. He had a blister, and he, you know, and he came in for something in my dad's pharmacy, and a lot of the bullets came in too. Not a lot, not as many Orioles, and people just saw them around. And yeah. he, and then, you know, I don't know if there was much overlap, but then Cal came into the onto the scene, and he played his whole career with the Orioles. And he was a local kid. So it was very much a connection with the team because people were around. Yeah. And we just mentioned, I just want to say, you know, we just, yesterday we talked a little bit about Joey Votto spending 20 right. years, I mean, really 17 years in Cincinnati for, for Brooks to spend 23 actual major league seasons in Baltimore, let yeah. alone the many years afterwards as him they, and Jim they, Palmer have stayed around, right? Yesterday on the broadcast, I think Kevin Brown said to, to Jim, so you knew him for 60 years. It's a long time. It's a long time, man. That's all of me. Two, that is all of you. Two more quick things here. One, the Orioles moved to Baltimore from St. Louis as the St. Louis Browns in 1954. Brooks right. Robinson debuts in the big leagues in 1955. Now, granted, he's not a regular player for another couple seasons, and then he is the guy until 1977. Cal Ripken shows up in 1983 and he plays until 2001. And so from the beginning of the Orioles until my sixth birthday, <laughs> okay, which is which I, think, which I think you spent at Camden Yards getting a tour. Okay. You're basically having either Brooks Robinson or Cal Ripken there for the entirety of that span, which is, yeah. I mean, O's fans now understand how spoiled that must have been. To have we, these core, you know, huge players, these personalities, these people intertwined with the city for that enormous span of time. I guess my last question for you, Mom, is Brooks as a person around the city. Because the reason that he is being memorialized so much this morning is not just because he was good at the sport. There are many players who were good at the sport. 
but it appears that he fostered a very deep, meaningful connection with the people of Baltimore, something interesting for a kid from Little Rock, Arkansas. He lived his life in Baltimore. He died in Baltimore. I'm curious, as someone who saw him as a personality and a presence around town, whether it be on billboards or on radio hits or as just a figure, what did he mean to the city itself? Oh, I think he meant as much as any of those kinds of like Johnny Unitas, right? Cal, Frank, uh, Eddie, Murray. Like there were always these figures who were around, who did charitable work, who were on some whatever goofy local radio ads on WBAL. Um, he was just, a, he was a fixture. Like you said, there's Brooks Robinson Drive. And he, I mean, it's a like a stupid little street that's kind of a service road, but Brooks Robinson Drive. So, you know, he was just one of those fixtures of the city. And I think too, again, you know, reflecting back on what Jim Palmer was kind of talking about and how Jim Palmer, we still get to see on the broadcast all the time. I know obviously he's a little bit younger than uh, than Brooks, but that was what, what struck me too is how much Brooks has not just been around the city, but even still been around the team. And that's not that uncommon when you have a franchise legend that likes to be around. And, and some teams, some organizations are better than others about embracing their alumni. Now, it's easy when you have you know a franchise legend like that, but I've enjoyed, uh, Jake, you mentioned a moment at the end of last season where he threw out a first pitch to Gunnar Henderson. You kind of have those generations, so many generations removed from each other and what kind of the Orioles mean to Baltimore. Like that is also a really special thing to see him still around. Maybe he's not on the broadcast every day like Jim Palmer, but it's clear that he's remained involved and remained passionate about the Orioles, which is also, I think, especially cool. And he was definitely on their minds last night. Oh, yeah. I, then I struck out. I felt terrible for him. <laughs> like, Jordan, you make a good point. All these teams are the same, right? And when players come up and are drafted by a team, it's totally random who they get drafted by, right? And who they're developed by. And the thing that creates meaning and uniqueness within various franchises is the history and the connection with the fan base. And so... Yeah. For the Orioles to create that type of moment between Gunnar Henderson and Brooks Robinson last year is meaningful because it is a link between generations and the fans can understand that and see that. Totally. Because again, like Brooks chose us, Mm -hmm. right? He could have gone other places. He could have moved away, right? Right. But he chose to stay and that, that makes that connection and that meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and and like you said, like it fit. That's Gunner from Alabama, right? You have, and he's hopefully he'll be an Oriole for a long time. And the sport is very different, so it's hard to look at many players and be like, oh yeah, he'll be there for twenty three. Let alone he'll oh, forget forget how long he'll be in one place. <laughs> Playing for twenty three years is of course absurd, right? Starting your major league career when you're eighteen is of course absurd. So there's many things about players from that era that are hard to wrap our minds around, but that also what makes it. Uh, so much more fun to kind of talk about you mentioning those experiences of Jim Palmer coming into your uh, your parents' stores is like yeah sure that's a, a normal <laughs> happening I guess in the seventies uh, sure no normal stuff uh, mom thank you so much for joining us and for telling us about a baseball player that we did not see we spent a lot of time telling you about baseball players that you do not see and so it is nice to return the favor. The privilege to appear on the Barbacast. Hey! 
And welcome back to the end of Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mitz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Yesterday, Jordan, I'm at City Field and I'm talking to friend of the show, Andy McCullough, my favorite baseball writer, who also does a podcast over at The Athletic called The Roundtable with Mark Carrig and Grant Brisby, one of the few baseball podcasts that I occasionally listen to besides our own. And he said that on yesterday's show, they had a discussion about who would be the funniest big leaguer for Taylor Swift to date. And I thought this was a conversation we should throw our hat in the ring for, not to steal their content or ruin their vibe, but this question was too good to pass up. And so I kick it to you, Mr. Schusterman. Mm -hmm. Who would be the funniest major leaguer for Taylor Swift to date? I mean, listen, if we just want me to start naming bench players, like I can do that. I'm sure that's what people are expecting. There's all kinds of funny... Um, so I think the way I'm thinking about this is actually, and if, if you want to spin in another direction, that's fine. I'm thinking about this, especially after what we saw on Sunday, which was her at the game reacting to Travis Kelsey playing. Okay. And so I'm thinking about this from the standpoint of Taylor Swift is in the crowd watching this player play. Okay. And so it, from that perspective, I think the funniest ones are like, the nerve-wracking relievers. Because I think pitchers have to be the answer and and starters in particular for thinking about it more realistically or one that we can actually imagine because I don't think it, it it's more of an event, right? When it's 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 that guy's turn and especially Taylor Swift, she's got a lot of places to be. Like she's not just going to show up on a reg, random Tuesday to watch her boyfriend who plays second base and bat 6th, you know, go one for four. It needs to be an event that he is starting that day. She will carve out, I am coming to this day. At the same time, what's funnier is someone, a reliever, who is like walking the house and just yeah. like having to cut to her just panicking over a, a horrible relief outing. That is so funny to me. You are thinking about this from the perspective of incredibly famous person watches baseball. <laughs> yes. I am actually going to approach this from the Swifty world has to think about a okay. major league baseball That's player. That's another good. Oh, yeah, no, no wrong ways. That all of this no. is funny. So, But that, that someone, makes sense too. Yep. Someone who fits both of these is James Karinchak, <laughs> reliever for the Cleveland Guardians. James oh. Karinchak is a walk conveyor belt mm-hmm. okay True. who is a reliever throwing at high leverage he is also not exactly how do i put this kindly he is politically controversial he once uh instagram storied a picture of a ar-15 with uh andrew cuomo's face on it yeah with the word tyrant over his not eyes. not that is, the not an ig story uh we uh would support <laughs> under yeah we don't support that um <laughs> Swifties discovering that about James Karinczak would be so funny. I agree. From a personality off the field standpoint, there's all kinds of far more problematic than what some are conceiving Travis Kelsey being violent to be in baseball. We got all kinds of bad politics, obviously, right? Again, though, bad people. if we're thinking funny, again, if we're thinking the funny on-field experience, like, how about Shintaro Fujinami? There's one. <laughs> that one would be quite the, the roller coaster for her to experience. Now, personality-wise, again, if we think about it from the standpoint of, like, Travis Kelsey is one of the best players in football. That's that's my understanding, right? So is there someone who both rises to that level well, of player but also would be an interesting personality? But that's that not interesting to me, right? Like, mm-hmm. who's the best fit? Who's the most like Travis Kelsey? 
Who's most like Travis Kelsey? The answer, honestly, is Justin Verlander, and he's already like mm. married to a famous person. Yeah, but he's not as charismatic as Travis Kelsey. Like, no baseball just, players are that charismatic, dude. Yeah, I know, but that's. I'm just saying that there's probably some better answers than that. But no, I agree. I understand what you're saying. From a charisma perspective, it's like jazz is that charismatic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we're yeah. looking at it from funny and bizarre. This came to me because I was in the Marlins clubhouse yesterday and I was like, Yuri Perez would be very funny <laughs> because he's a six foot eight, 20 year old Dominican guy who's not like fluent in English yet. And the idea of him dating Taylor Swift is so funny. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess if you're thinking about it from right, what part of baseball culture do we want right. Swifties to learn about? Maybe that's another way. To, hey, let us know. I mean, this is an easy. I mean, Otani, people can even like yeah. as far as we, Otani's single, right? It's as far as we know. As far as we know, he's got he's got plenty, but he's not he's not playing anytime soon. So I guess he'll be hitting on opening day, according to. Netflix. I do love the idea of 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 hit of like Taylor Swift dating like a quad A guy who has to go to Korea to like regain <laughs> his status, like you know, like Ryan Healy. Or, oh yeah, that's a good. She's one. already dated a Healy. Yeah, that's true. What's what's another one? Who's who's what's to say? Really? Uh, there's Garrett Stubbs. Garrett Let Stubbs. us know. <laughs> Let us know. Baseballbarbecast oh, at gmail.com. The funniest would be Nick Castellanos. Yeah, that would be from a like trying to decipher what the hell he's saying half the time. That would be a fun assignment for those who like to read way too much into anything that ever happens to Taylor Swift, uh, including what she puts on her chicken tenders. Uh, all right, Jake. Yep. At the end of this show, it is time to say farewell. This final week is a time when all kinds of teams are getting eliminated. We'll move through these pretty quickly because we have a large pile of teams that are officially done, including the Giants. Let's actually start with the Giants who were officially eliminated last night by the San Diego Padres. Another, I guess, high-stakes game. Juan Soto, oh my goodness. Juan Soto opposite field home runs, maybe my favorite genre of homer. Padres bury the Giants, Mm. as we all expected, I guess, at the beginning of the season. How about that? Padres finding a way to stay alive longer than the Giants. Good for them. Uh, what what to say about the Giants? We know Logan Webb is tired of losing. They're gonna, I hope here's all I have to say about them. I hope they finish eighty one and eighty one again. Yeah, the <laughs> Giants were one Aaron Judge away from being a postseason team. Simple as that yep. for me. This yep. roster was constructed with the purpose of having like a Judge or Correa as the centerpiece of it. Yeah, and not a Correa, Correa away from the postseason though. Not a Correa away. Oh, from well, the oh, actually, that's interesting. I mean, he's certainly been better than Brandon Crawford. But that is an interesting discussion. Is certainly a judge, though. Good point. I, I'm certainly a that. judge away from the postseason, which mm-hmm. does not make it easier to swallow for Giants fans and does not make the job easier for Farhan Zaidi as we move forward. The seat's getting a little hot there in San Francisco with the resources. He has been given more patience than Chaim Bloom was in Boston, but it's just something to keep an eye on. So the Giants, farewell. The Pirates eliminated yesterday. Mm-hmm. Steps forward, they're crawling. The the standings, I guess, compared to where they were last year, there are signs of life. There are positive things to take away. I will remember how hot they started and O'Neill Cruz getting hurt right away and how much of a bummer that was. Yeah, it was it was both at the time. It was like, oh, God, Cruz is hurt. But then they kept winning. But very quickly, it was like, oh, without Cruz, like, why am I tuning into this team? 
And then the respectable, heroic return of Andrew McCutcheon, who could have come back to the Pirates and been a pumpkin. Instead, he was spectacular enough. Unfortunate season-ending injury. He is now at 299 home runs. But the thing that I'm sure is the most, you know, encouraging for Pirates fans is like, they could have traded him at the deadline. And he straight up publicly said, I don't want to play anywhere else. I am happy here. I like it here. Yeah. And he's done enough that I would expect him to be back again next year. He will yes. get to 300 home runs. And yeah, they they had some, some positive strides on offense. The question with them is, who are your pitchers beyond Mitch Keller and David Bednar? Like who who are who am I actually trusting to be a good pitcher on the next good Pirates team? And that staff, there's a lot of young guys. They've, they've graduated a lot of guys to the big leagues. We're just kind of waiting to see who those guys are. Uh, next up, we have the Mets. Very normal season for them. Uh, I mean, it's just one of the most incredible things we've ever seen. We could do a whole podcast on them spending $400 million and losing 80, 90 games. It's unbelievable. Everything about it is still hard to fathom. We've kind of moved past it. It is absolutely one of the biggest stories in baseball this year. As for what it means for them next year, like I am still interested as to how much they want to win next season because there's enough in place that they should. But again, I don't know who's pitching for them. So Kodai Senga is by far the biggest win of the season. Not even close. The fact that they wasted his season is a shame, but that is still a huge dub for Billy Epler that they got Kodai Senga. He has been the truth. Other than that, just disasters abound and roster building disasters all over the place. Now you have David Stearns. Good luck to David Stearns. One other positive for the Mets. Francisco Lindor, franchise shortstop. This is what they paid for. He has been as good as advertised. He has been a rock on both sides of the ball for them. And he's there forever. And so that is a legitimate piece to build around. I'm most interested in to see how they handle Pete Alonso whether they trade him this offseason, whether they extend him, or whether they let him just go to free agency. That is a Mets offseason storyline to watch. Let's go to Yankee Stadium, where the Yankees, also officially eliminated since we last spoke to you, spent a lot of time around these boys. What are you going to remember about this team, Jordan? Besides our friend Carlos Rodon just being poo-poo. Oh, yeah. And, And, you know, obviously you could say, oh, well, Judge was hurt. Honestly, because we just had another play last night, Giancarlo being the slowest human I've ever seen. Uh, but they did, I mean, Vol- it was a very interesting Volpe season, right? You could you could look at it and be very optimistic about it. You could look at it and be very concerned. Um, you know, you look at his 668 OPS, you also see, you know, he went 20-20 and generally played good defense. So there's still some real concerns about this roster and some real work to do. I hope Carlos can get moving in the right direction. Garrett Cole winning the Cy Young in this season is also hilarious. Um, but yeah. man, like they, they, I know that the Yankees fans now have kind of calmed down and accepted their reality. You're watching the kids, but like as soon as the season ends, they're going to get right back to getting pissed about everything as they should, yeah. because those are the standards. And this is a fairly unacceptable situation. The Aaron judge injury was obviously unfortunate, but they were not an Aaron judge injury or, you know, two months of health away from being, a division-winning ball club. They have 80 wins, the Baltimore Orioles have 98. Aaron yep. Judge is not, the two months they missed of him was not an 18-win gap. And yeah. so whether or not Judge got hurt, there are still legitimate issues with this team, with this franchise, with this organization that we will spend some time covering over the offseason. The Cleveland Guardians, forgettable. Goodbye to Terry Francona. Heck of a career. There's. It seems like he might just go get healthy, see if he can get to a place where he's able to manage again and come back in the future. I've heard that rumored a little bit, but a really impressive tenure for him in Cleveland. 
that is what I will kind of remember the last couple of weeks of his uh, run as the manager of the Guardians. And you you uh, tweeted this recently just from the standpoint of how cool it is, but both nailers playing really, really well in the second half. Like offense has clearly been the problem. We talked about all the great hitters that they've traded away, but those are both like legitimate foundational pieces. The step back from Andres Jimenez is certainly concerning. Jose Ramirez is still one of the best players in baseball. And then they they just got crushed on the mound with injuries and regression. And some of those young guys stepped up, and but it wasn't nearly enough for the offense that they were supporting. So uh, they also have work to do. But could you get back in it in the AL Central if you actually try a little bit? Absolutely. Bo Naylor, AL Central, yes. Bo Naylor, 11.36 OPS in his last 25 games. Damn. Go, Bo, go. Detroit Tigers. As we say goodbye to Terry Francona, we also will be saying goodbye to Miguel Cabrera. Maybe we'll touch a little bit more on that, maybe on Friday's show. Uh, Miggy, of course, uh, embarking on his final homestand here. Also a fairly forgettable team. I would say that they were also maybe a little bit better than we expected. They might finish in second place here, but that says more about this historically terrible division. As for bright spots, there were moments with Torque and Riley Green where it was like, okay, this is more what we expected in 2022. We're seeing it in 2023. Kerry Carpenter breaking out into a legitimately good major league hitter. Still, again, go back to the same question as Pittsburgh. What are we getting on the mound here? Maybe Erod sticks around. Maybe some of these younger guys, like Reese Olsen has been impressive at times. Scooble, of course, has been good but injured. I still just don't know where we're getting outs in the rotation. Bullpen, shockingly good. They had a lot of relievers with good numbers. But it was not an offense that was going to be good enough to actually win baseball games and not a good enough starting rotation. So that's the Tigers. And then the Angels. That's it. I have nothing to say about the Angels. Jordan, thank you for doing another podcast with me. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. Chris Tyler, thank you for producing as always. Hopefully you guys all enjoyed these back-to-back days of podcasts. We'll be back on Friday. Where will all my mental state be about the Mariners? Stay tuned. It's gonna it is a day-to-day situation, but thank you, Jake. Go O's. O's clinching. Jake, the O's can freaking win the division tonight. Think about that. Think about that. Yeah. Think about that. Just think about that. All right. We're gonna think about that. You should all think about that, and we'll talk to you on Friday. I don't think I'd want to date Taylor Swift. I think it would just like she seems nice. It's just I don't think it's worth it. Yeah. It's I agree. Serious XM Podcasts.